Kick counting regularly helps you notice your baby's unique movement patterns, which will make it easier to spot a change. If baby doesn't seem to be moving, try laying on your left side or having an ice cold drink. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Teen. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. So this week I am on solo for you guys and I'm talking all about third trimester FAQs. I remember what it was like being in my third trimester both times. That last one really wasn't that long ago. And gosh, I gotta say it can come with quite a few discomforts. As that due date gets closer and closer, it inevitably seems like we naturally get more questions that come up. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to you guys all about nausea in the third trimester, traveling during pregnancy, baby movements, itchy feet, labial swelling, hip pain, what to do if your water breaks unexpectedly, and more. So let's dive right in. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. All right, third trimester mamas, this episode is for you. If you don't know me, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, my name is Liesl. Hello. I am a labor and delivery nurse and the face behind Mommy Labor Nurse over at Instagram. And every week there on Instagram, we do Q&As in my stories related to pregnancy and birth. I get on every single Sunday, no matter if I'm working or not. I've taken a few few weeks off, you know, if I get sick or something, but pretty much every Sunday I'm there doing a Q&A in my story. Over the past month or so, I've been gathering up all of the most common but less answered third trimester questions to create this little roundup episode for you guys. So I'm going to answer some common third trimester FAQs, but I'm also going to sprinkle in some tips to help ease your mind and discomforts in the final trimester before birth. All right. The first question is, when does the third trimester start? So this may be one of the questions where you're like, why is this a frequently asked question? So this question is actually a lot more common than you'd think, and it might have something to do with differing answers out there. Most sources agree that the third trimester begins with week 28 and lasts until you give birth, but some sources say it starts in week 27, and that's based on the assumption that each trimester is exactly 13 weeks. And while it's true that other trimesters last between 13 and 14 weeks, the third trimester is less definitive in that sense too because due dates are rarely accurate in predicting when your baby will arrive. 
Whenever due dates like to come up, I like to take a look at the stats and averages on when babies actually make their appearance. According to birth data put out by the CDC in 2017, 10% of babies were born between 37 weeks, 26% of babies were born between weeks 37 and 38, 57% of babies were born between weeks 39 to 40, and 6% were born in week 41 and less than 1% at week 42 or more. Most interesting to me actually is that in 1997, so 20 years ago from this data, the percentage of births at 42 plus weeks was actually 57%. That's probably for a few reasons, including dating ultrasounds weren't as good back then, which meant less accurate due dates, and the rates of inductions and scheduled or elective C-sections are far higher these days. All right, next topic, third trimester nausea. What is the deal? Okay, so now that we've determined the general window of the third trimester, let's talk about nausea. Most often nausea and the first trimester go hand in hand, but a surprising amount of women also complain about pregnancy nausea in the third trimester as well. For some of you, this might be the exact same nausea from the first trimester that never really went away. And this is because there is a small subset of women who do experience nausea for their entire pregnancy and even a smaller subset of women who experience severe nausea that's known as hyperemesis gravidarum. But if your nausea did disappear and now it's back, it might actually be rooted in something besides those rising hormones, and that's your growing uterus and baby. Basically, as your baby in uterus grow, they begin to put more and more pressure on your stomach, leading to nausea. With so much less space in your stomach, it also means that you might feel fuller faster and get that nauseous, overly full feeling more quickly and easily than you did before you were pregnant. The best thing you can do to prevent third trimester nausea is to eat smaller, more frequent meals to try to avoid that overly full feeling. Keeping yourself regular in the bathroom will also go a long way and often staying well hydrated and incorporating a daily cup of tea and movement into your day can really help with this as well. All right, next topic is what should I know about traveling in the third trimester? Okay, so I know a lot of us still really aren't traveling with COVID, you know, going on, but some of us are starting to, you know, things are kind of easing up. So there's a common myth out there about traveling during the third trimester of pregnancy, especially airplane travel. But the bottom line is that most domestic airlines will let you fly until 36 weeks and car travel further than two hours from your hospital usually follows the same cutoff. But let's break this down a little bit more. So first off, make sure you talk to your provider about traveling anywhere as far in advance as possible. This is true for both car and air travel. If you've got a higher risk pregnancy, your provider may recommend you stop travel well before 36 weeks, so it's important to have a chat with them. It is true that most domestic airlines allow low-risk pregnant women to fly up to their 36th week of their pregnancy, but be aware that many airlines do request a travel certificate from your provider, so make sure to check if they need one. International flights may differ as well, so be sure to check with the individual airline for more details. All right, so here are a few tips to consider if you are traveling. Drink lots of fluids while you fly. Wear loose clothing and walk around frequently once you're able to move in the air. Many women have difficulties with swelling while they're flying, and this can help decrease your swelling and DVTs too. Book an aisle seat if available. Just more legroom for you and ease of access to getting up and using the bathroom as needed. 
Avoid foods and drinks that cause gas and bring some gas medication with you on the flight. Gas can be quite uncomfortable and expands with low air pressure in airplane cabins, making it even worse. And finally, bring hand sanitizer and wash your hands frequently. Airplanes can be pretty icky, and that's a tip for anyone regardless of if you're pregnant or not, or regardless of if you're listening to this when COVID is still a thing. (laughs) All right, next topic is baby movement. So third trimester baby movement, what is normal and what's not? Baby movement in the third trimester is a hot topic and one that I like to shed light on whenever possible. So as far as feeling baby move, by week 28 of pregnancy, all pregnant women should regularly be feeling their baby kick, move, and roll around in there. And this is a great time to start doing kick counts as a way of noting your baby's movement and learning what's normal for them in terms of movement, because it does vary from baby to baby. Research shows that kick counting is a free and super effective way for mamas to track baby's well-being in the womb, spot potential problems, and prevent stillbirth. Okay, so let's talk more about kick counting. So how to kick count. I want you to set time aside once per day to lie or recline in a quiet place and focus on baby's movements. Try to do your kick counting when baby is usually active. For most, this is at night or after meals. According to ACOG, you should feel 10 movements in two hours. Movements can be kicks, flutters, swishes, rolls, jabs, or anything in between. All babies are different, and some mamas will feel 10 movements in 10 minutes or one minute. (laughs) Others might take the full two hours. Kick counting regularly helps you notice your baby's unique movement patterns, which will make it easier to spot a change. If baby doesn't seem to be moving, try laying on your left side or having an ice cold drink. And remember, alert your doctor if you don't feel 10 movements in two hours, the strength of the movements is quite different, or for any reason you think something might be up. Remember, we'd much rather you call and come in for a false alarm than have an emergency go unnoticed. All right, so that brings me to my next point. Babies don't move less the bigger that they get. Many times women hear this statement, as your baby gets bigger, you know, he or she might move less because there's less room. This can be from a provider, your friend, your mom, your sister, whoever. While this is sort of true for some, it can get misconstrued making women think that when their baby is not moving normally, it's simply normal because they are running out of room in there. And this can prevent us from spotting red flags and other issues. It's really important that if you're nearing term and your baby is not moving as frequently that you call your provider or really at any point from here on out for that matter. As baby gets bigger, movements may be more dulled. You might feel rolls instead of sharp jabs, but baby should be moving just as much and you should still keep track by doing fetal kick counts. If your baby is moving less than normal, we will have you just come in for some extra monitoring so that we can determine if there are any problems arising. All right, so the next topic is pregnancy exercises for the third trimester. So did you know that exercising during pregnancy provides you with a ton of benefits? I hope that you did. (laughs) Let's look at some of the benefits that it provides. Shorter labor and delivery. A 2018 study showed a link between regular aerobic exercise and shorter duration of the first and second phase of labor higher chance of unmedicated birth. The same study found a link between regular exercise and fewer instances of epidural use. Keeps mood swings at bay. It boosts energy. It can help you achieve a healthy weight gain for your body. It minimizes pregnancy discomforts and it provides easier postpartum recovery. 
In fact, it's so important and beneficial, the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, ACOG, recommends getting about 30 minutes of activity a day. Here are a few great exercises to do during your pregnancy that are all safe for the third trimester. Brisk walking, yoga, ball exercises, squats or plies, swimming, biking on a stationary bike. Regular biking isn't recommended though because you are more likely to fall. Low impact aerobics, the elliptical or jogging, especially if you're running before your pregnancy. Okay, so Let's answer the question, can you definitely work out during your third trimester? Most of the time, yes. Generally, if you are physically active before your pregnancy, you should be able to continue your activity in moderation as long as it's a no contact activity, but it's always a good idea to check with your provider first. Also, don't feel like you have to exercise at your former level. Instead, do what's more comfortable for you now. And if you weren't physically active in your pregnancy up until now, it's not too late. Just start slow and work up your endurance. Remember, any movement helps. All right, the next topic is about water. Why am I thirstier during the third trimester of pregnancy? Okay, so during pregnancy, hydration is super important. You guys know this for a number of reasons. The general recommendation is 10 eight-ounce glasses of water per day, but if it's especially hot, you exercise regularly, or you still feel thirsty, I want you to aim higher than that. Basically, you may feel thirstier because your body knows it needs water. So listen to your thirst cues and always drink enough to quench your thirst. The amount is going to look different, of course, for different women. Here are some of the most important jobs water and hydration do during your pregnancy. Okay, so first of all, it transports nutrients. Water is responsible for carrying oxygen and nutrients to our cells, tissues, and organs. Staying hydrated ensures that essential nutrients are being transported to meet the developmental needs of baby as he or she grows. Amniotic fluid levels. Drinking water also helps preserve an adequate level of amniotic fluid and even aids fetal kidney function by facilitating the amount of waste baby's kidneys filter. It may help with swelling. If water retention has caused you to look more swollen than normal lately, drinking water can help prevent the amount of water you retain throughout the course of your pregnancy. I know it kind of sounds backwards, like the more water you drink, you think the more swollen you're going to get, but it's the opposite. So water also prevents Braxton Hicks contractions. Dehydration can cause cramping and is a huge trigger for those pesky Braxton Hicks contractions you may be feeling as your pregnancy progresses. So make sure you stay nice and hydrated. And finally, water prepares you for labor. Water intake and proper hydration becomes especially important at the very end of pregnancy. You want to be properly hydrated at all times so you're ready for labor and delivery. Being well hydrated will give you more energy and you may even experience a shorter labor. Okay, next topic is itchiness. So itchy feet during pregnancy, what is about that? So hopefully by the third trimester, you feel familiar with the reasons that you need to call your provider, like bleeding, your baby's not moving adequately, you have severe abdominal pain, you have symptoms of preeclampsia, preterm labor, all that stuff is really important to call your provider about. But one thing I don't hear as often to call your provider about is if you have itchy palms and soles of your feet during pregnancy or any abdominal itchiness, to be honest. And here's why. Itchy hands and feet can be a symptom of a scary condition called intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy, ICP. And in fact, itchy hands and itchy feet 
and itchy body. If you're feeling itchy at all and your provider hasn't ruled this out, please let them know. All right, so what is this cholestasis thing? So cholestasis is a condition where the flow of bile is affected by the increased amounts of pregnancy hormones. Cholestasis is more common in the last trimester of pregnancy when hormones are at their peak, but it usually goes away within a few days after delivery. It's a big deal because it increases the risk for fetal distress, preterm birth, or stillbirth. A developing baby relies on mama's liver to remove bile acids from the blood. Therefore, the elevated levels of maternal bile cause stress on baby's liver. Women with cholestasis should be monitored closely and serious consideration should be given to inducing labor once the baby's lungs have reached maturity. But don't get too nervous. Many women who have cholestasis go on to have perfectly healthy babies. Your birth just might happen a little bit sooner or a little differently than you previously imagined. The bottom line, though, on itchy feet is bring this up to your provider ASAP if your feet are itchy. The holidays are all about coming together and creating the magic of the season. Sure, you can buy ornaments, but isn't building your own so much more awesome? This year, KiwiCo invites your family to make the holidays a little more hands-on, all while learning a thing or two along the way. Last month, I opened my four-year-old's first koala crate that I received for him from KiwiCo, and I gotta say, he's still super intrigued by it a whole month later. Inside his box, he got this super cute camping kit with a little tea light, paper flames, and a bear backpack he decorated himself. The kid loves anything to do with camping and crafting, so making that bear backpack was especially perfect for him. Your child can get super cool hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to their door every month month. They'll be so excited to see these arrive in the mail. KiwiCo Day will be their favorite day of the month, and you'll love how high quality the materials are too. Do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. KiwiCo gives them the tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, and make new connections. The best part? Watching their confidence grow as big as their smile. This holiday season, give the gift of a fun, hands-on holiday experience with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code MLN50 at kiwico.com. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code MLN50. All right, next topic is hip pain. So how do you deal with hip pain in the third trimester? I get this one in my DMs a lot. Hip pain during the third trimester is a super common discomfort that affects most women to at least some degree. It's mostly caused by that growing belly and your need to move in different ways to accommodate that belly. All the pulling, tightening, and shifting that's happening with the muscles, ligaments, and et cetera surrounding your pelvis also add to the perfect storm. So what can you do about hip pain in the third trimester? Here are my suggestions. So first one is movement and stretching. Regularly moving and doing stretches that target your hips during pregnancy can be some of the best ways to find relief. Prenatal yoga for third trimester mamas almost always incorporate tons of awesome hip stretches and openers. Spending time on your yoga ball in a low supported squat or moving in water can also help. A heating pad. Heat can help so much with common pains and discomforts. Applying a heating pad or a hot water bottle to your sore hips can actually go a long way in providing some relief. 
a pregnancy pillow. A lot of pregnant women experience achy hips as they try to fall asleep. Putting a pillow between your legs while you lie on your side can help with this. A pregnancy sleeping pillow can be even better. And finally, a pregnancy support belt. A pregnancy support belt lifts and supports your growing belly to help relieve some of the pressure on the lower back, hips, and pelvis. I loved using one with my second pregnancy. I think it's made a, such a huge difference. All right. Is labial swelling normal during the third trimester? Okay. Let's talk about it. Unfortunately, yes, vaginal swelling in general, including the labia and vulva, is really normal during pregnancy, but that doesn't make it any less alarming. If you're experiencing this, your vagina and labia look like or feel a lot puffier or fuller than they typically do. Just like how swelling happens in other parts of the body, it can totally happen down there as well. Here are some reasons for labial swelling in the third trimester. Number one, fluid retention. Just like your swollen ankles or feet that are due to fluid retention, sometimes that excess fluid lands in the tissue of your vagina, causing a puffy, swollen sensation. Number two, increased blood volume. By weeks 34 to 36, you will reach peak blood volume during your pregnancy, which in average is 45% higher than your pre-pregnancy levels. All of that extra volume can result in increased blood flow and blood pressure in and around your pelvis, which can lead to swelling. Number three, added pressure. Building on the first two reasons, as your belly grows, it starts to put a lot more pressure onto your pelvis, which is another reason that excess fluid can build up in your vaginal area. And finally, number four, varicose veins. We most often think about varicose veins on the legs or the feet, but they can actually show up in your labia or on your vulva as well. These can catch women off guard, but they aren't anything to worry too much about and they usually resolve after birth. The way you'll treat vaginal swelling is similar to how you treat any other swelling. I want you to stay super hydrated, help flush out excess water, and apply perineal ice packs to your vagina to help reduce inflammation. Passicles actually work great too, so you can make them pre-birth and use them even before baby's born. <laughs> you can also ask your provider about wearing compression garments, support wear that are designed to increase blood circulation down there as well. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. So this Birth It Up Baby is from Instagram, and she says, Hi, I just wanted to thank you. I took your epidural course, and I was beyond ready for my pregnancy today, for my birth today. I think she means all the nurses and doctors told me I was such a great sport and did so well. They literally told me that they wish most patients were like me. LOL. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm pretty sure they mean it in good spirits, but thank you so much. Our baby boy entered this world well and healthy. So glad I took this course. Amazing. And she took the epidural course. So if you're interested in that course that she took, you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and just click on the epidural series. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. Okay, so let's talk about why do you have tightness around your stomach during pregnancy? I get this question all the time, and I think it's because mamas just don't know what the phenomenon is. So a sudden tightening across your stomach during pregnancy is most likely a Braxton Hicks contraction. A lot of women experience them and don't even realize that's what they are. And if you're referring to a more constant sense of tightness, it could definitely just be your growing belly kind of stretching your skin beyond its elasticity. 
Often this creates a sense of tightness and sometimes itchiness on the stomach too. My best advice for dealing with this is lathering on a nice thick belly butter or a belly oil to try and get some relief. Okay, next up, let's talk about toothaches. Toothaches during the third trimester and other teeth troubles that you may have during your pregnancy. A lot of pregnant women don't realize that pregnancy increases your risk for dental issues. Issues with your gums, including gingivitis, are far more common and you have an increased risk for cavities as well. This happens for a number of reasons, the main two being your changing hormones and a change in habits or dietary preferences. This can include changes in diet due to cravings, an increase in vomiting, leading to plaque buildup, an increase in swelling in the gums. Swelling can happen everywhere, like we've said, which exacerbates gum disease and more. It's recommended to keep your regular dental checkups during pregnancy every six months, and if for some reason a regularly scheduled visit doesn't fall during your pregnancy, it might be a good idea to plan an extra cleaning. And of course, if you're experiencing tooth pain or abnormal gum bleeding, you should definitely give your dentist a call. Okay, so let's start by talking about what happens when your water breaks. This is a question I get a lot on Sundays. So sometimes your water will break before contractions start, sometimes it will break during labor, and then sometimes your provider may break it artificially if you are already in labor and your contractions have slowed down as a way to speed them up. But in short, when your water breaks, your contractions will either start if you weren't already in labor or they will get a whole lot stronger. You see, once your water breaks, there is no longer any cushioning or padding between baby's head and your cervix. When that bag of water breaks, baby's head puts a lot more pressure onto your cervix. This causes more contractions, which leads to more dilation. Yay! The next common question I get regarding water breaking is when will I know or will I even know when my water breaks? Well, the honest answer to this question is a maybe. Even I had a water breaking scare during my second pregnancy where I wasn't 100% sure what was actually going on. So here are the two typical scenarios that might happen if or when your water breaks and you haven't started labor yet. Number one, a dramatic gush. Like I talked about in the beginning of this question, all of a sudden you feel a huge gush. It literally feels like you peed your pants, but you didn't, and it's not stopping. It may have happened while you're sleeping, at the grocery store, like I talked about, sitting on the couch, anywhere. It's really unpredictable, but don't let your anxiety about this get the best of you. If your water breaks in public and gets all over the place, most people understand, and you're going to have bigger things on your mind because that baby is coming real soon. Number two, a slow trickle. You may feel a slow trickle and wonder, did my water break? Sometimes this happens and we call it a slow leak. When this happens, it also will not stop. Once your water breaks, even if it's a slow trickle, it will continue to come out in little drops or spurts. In this scenario, it's far less dramatic, and this is usually when mamas have that doubt about whether or not their water broke or not. Insert my situation that I talked about in the beginning. But in either water breaking scenario, I want you to call your provider. If you have a slow trickle kind of situation, they may tell you to put a pad on and continue to walk around or go about your day. If the pad continues to soak up fluid, it likely is amniotic fluid. If it doesn't, there's a better chance that it was just a little pee or some discharge. And here's another fun fact. Only about 15% of women actually have their water break before labor starts. So chances are you'll already be at the hospital or in active labor when it happens. 
All right, so let's talk about color when your water breaks. It's also important to pay attention to the color you see when your water breaks. Clear fluid is common, meconium stain fluid is less common. So if your water breaks and it has a green hue, it means that baby has pooped while still inside of you. This is called meconium stain fluid. Generally, this is okay and nothing really comes of it. However, it could be a sign of fetal distress. But remember, it's not an absolute indicator of it. I don't want you to panic if you see brown or green amniotic fluid, but I do want you to call and mention it to your provider right away so they can plan accordingly. If this happens to you, you can expect a few extra professionals at your delivery because if baby accidentally inhales some of this fluid after birth, he or she could get sick. This will usually be a pediatric team that's at the ready just in case they feel the need to deep suction baby and get that extra fluid out. This doesn't happen very often, guys, but sometimes it does, and that's why they're there. Okay, so let's talk about how to tell if your water broke. Mama, it's definitely a myth that you'll absolutely know when your water breaks. We all seem to think it's going to be this big gush like you peed your pants, but that's not always the case. Remember, the movies don't tell us everything. For some women, when their water breaks, it's more of a slow trickle like I described before, and it's a little harder to know for sure what's going on. Let's take a look at the main differences between pee and amniotic fluid as well as vaginal discharge and amniotic fluid to help you figure out what's going on. But the bottom line is that if you think your water broke, call your provider. There are a few simple tests that we can do to determine if it has or not. Okay, so how to tell if your water broke or you just peed your pants. One of the most common questions we get in triage when a mama comes in thinking that she broke her water is whether it's amniotic fluid or it's just pee. You guys, it's harder to determine if you peed your pants or your water just broke than you think. We all know in pregnancy, especially in that third trimester, it's easy to pee your pants accidentally. It just happens sometimes. So first up, amniotic fluid is clear or sometimes it's green tinged like I described before. Urine can be clear if you're super hydrated, but usually it has at least a bit of a yellow tinge. Urine also smells like urine. Amniotic fluid does not smell like urine. It has a very distinct odor that's very different than urine. And amniotic fluid typically keeps coming out regardless of what you do. If your water breaks, you're going to continue to feel leaks, usually even if you are lying in bed and not moving. Okay, so what's the difference between amniotic fluid and vaginal discharge? So most often I hear about women who aren't sure if they peed or their water broke, but sometimes there's uncertainty about whether it's vaginal discharge or amniotic fluid. Some of us have some serious discharge during pregnancy, and it really can be hard to tell the difference, especially if your water breaking is more of a slow trickle. The big difference between vaginal discharge and amniotic fluid is the consistency, guys. Vaginal discharge is going to be a lot stickier or like egg whites. Amniotic fluid is essentially the consistency of water. Okay, so if you think your water broke but you're not totally sure, your provider will likely have you come in for a few in-office tests. Remember, water breaking is not an emergency, but it is important that we figure out what's going on to plan for the next steps. I've said it a lot already, but calling is so, so important, you guys, whether you know 100% your water broke or you have really have no idea. <laughs> Only your provider can tell you what the next course of action should be. But if you do end up going in for some tests to see whether it's amniotic fluid or not, these are the four most common tests. 
There is actually a fifth test that they sometimes do called an amnesure that can sometimes be done in office or at the hospital. However, the four that I'm about to describe are a lot more common and can pretty much always determine what's going on. Number one, so a speculum exam to check for something called pooling. So the first test your provider will do is a speculum exam. They have you get up on the table and take a look at what's going on inside your vagina with a speculum. They'll be checking to see if there is the presence of any liquid pooling in there. If there is a pool of liquid, that's a positive that your water probably did break, which leads to the next test, number two, nitrazine paper test. So next, your provider will take a little sample of that fluid that they found pooled inside during your speculum exam, and then they'll test the fluid using this nitrazine paper. Nitrazine paper is basically just pH paper, and it will turn a certain color if it's amniotic fluid. It turns blue. Third test, checking for the fluid underneath a microscope. For test three, they will just take a sample of this pooled fluid and put it on a microscope slide. They'll take a look at it underneath a microscope and look for what's known as ferning. This is a pattern that happens with amniotic fluid that lets them know that it's different than vaginal fluid, blood, or anything else that could be in your vagina. If your provider sees that the ferning pattern is there when they take a look underneath the microscope, this is another positive sign that you did break your water. And finally, the last test, you might have an ultrasound to check what's called your AFI. So your AFI is your amniotic fluid index, and this is basically a test that just checks to see how much fluid is in there. Your provider will do this if some of the other tests came back positive or inconclusive. The idea is that when they check the amount of fluid during an ultrasound, and if the amount come back really low, it may indicate that your water probably did break. All right, guys, that wraps up this episode all about third trimester questions. I'm guessing you learned something new about what to expect during the third trimester, and hopefully you gained some coping tips as well. If you enjoyed this episode, we always appreciate reviews. Go over to your podcast page, wherever you listen to your podcast, and leave us a short little review. I would absolutely love it and hit that five stars. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.